0: Welcome to Parker Memorial's podcast of the 8.30 a.m. service. Our service includes modern style worship and an on-time message from God's Word. This week, we continue our study into the book of Isaiah by Dr. Mac Amos. Now, here is this week's message.
1: If you have your Bibles, you go ahead and be turning to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53. And you also want to turn to John, the Gospel of John. Chapter 12. Hold your hand in both of those places. Father, thank you for truth. Thank you for the opportunity of worship. Thank you for the opportunity to come together to encourage one another in love and good deeds. We ask that the Holy Spirit will be our teacher today as we focus in on the truth of Isaiah 53, that you'll help us to understand how to present the gospel according to Isaiah 53. We'll praise you and thank you in it. In Jesus' name, amen. You know that over the last few weeks, we've been focusing on Isaiah 53 the gospel according to Isaiah 53 and what I've challenged you about is that you Would be able to share the gospel of Christ with someone without using the New Testament That you could take the Old Testament, which is what the scripture was that the first church had And you'd be able to take that scripture and you could preach Jesus from the Old Testament so I chose Isaiah 53 because it's one of the greatest passages you have regarding a messianic passage and the purpose and work of the Messiah and Jesus. We know him as Jesus. So I've ch- taken Isaiah 53 to go through it verse by verse to focus on how to share the gospel using Isaiah 53. Last week I shared with you that one of the ways that we know that Isaiah 53 is messianic is because that in the book of Acts in chapter 8 when Philip goes to share the gospel, or God tells him to go out to the desert land to meet the eunuch, and he has the opportunity to share the gospel. You remember the eunuch was reading Scripture, and he was reading specifically from Isaiah 53. As he read those Scriptures, uh, uh, Philip asked him, said, do you know what you're reading? He said, how do I know unless somebody explain it to me? He asked the question, is the prophet talking about himself in this matter of suffering and death or someone else? And it says, Philip got in the chariot, And he took this scripture, Isaiah 53, and he preached Jesus to him. And then after he preached Jesus, the eunuch asked, said, there's water. What prevents me from being baptized? Philip says, if you believe with all your heart, you can. And he said, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And he was baptized. So the scripture that Philip used was Isaiah 53, particularly verses 7 and 8. We use that as an introduction because the first part of that we covered last week regarding verse 7. And in verse 7 of Isaiah 53, it tells us that this one who's the anointed servant who's going to be coming from God is going to suffer. Remember, it talks about his suffering. He was oppressed and afflicted, but it tells us that his disposition was such he did not open his mouth. Even though he was like a lamb led to slaughter, he did not speak a word. So it tells us about the fact that this anointed servant is going to suffer, but his disposition is such that he's not going to revile when reviled. He's not going to fight back, but he's going to be quiet and receive that punishment because there's a purpose behind that punishment. He's being punished not for his sin, but for our sin. And so we focused in on that, the fact of his suffering and his disposition in verse seven. And I shared with you then we'd get to the second part of that. Which is verse number eight. That's what it says in Isaiah 53 8. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due? I hope you leave your Bibles open as we focus in on verse eight today, the second part of that part that Philip preached. Now, before I do that, I want to take you to the Gospel of John, chapter 12, and I want to show you another place in the Gospel that it points out that this Scripture, Isaiah 53, is messianic and has a purpose in the life of Jesus. It's found in verse 37 of John 12. It says, But though he, talking about Jesus, had performed so many signs before them, Yet they were not believing in him, that the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke. Listen what he speaks. Lord, who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? That's from Isaiah 53.1. Remember us covering that? Isaiah 53.1. Then in verse 39, it says, And for this cause they could not believe, for Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes, and he's hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and perceive with their heart and be converted, and I heal them. That's from Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. But I want you to really focus in on verse 41. This is what it says. These things Isaiah said because he saw his glory. Notice that word his. It's capitalized. Whose glory is he talking about? Jesus' glory. All right, listen to what it says again. These things Isaiah said because he saw his glory and he spoke of him. In other words, Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus ever comes on the scene, God allows him to see in a vision, dream, however it might be, he sees this Jesus, this anointed servant, this coming Messiah, and he sees his glory, and then he speaks of him. Therefore, the testimony of God's word is that Isaiah 53 is speaking of that one who is coming, the one we know named Jesus. Now, focus in on what he says in Isaiah 53, verse 8. He says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted in verse 7, but he goes on in verse 8 and says, But by oppression and judgment or affliction, he was taken away. Last week, we painted a picture that Jesus was oppressed. He was afflicted. He was scourged. He was beaten. He was carried to the cross. He was hung on the cross. All those things are true, that Jesus, the Lord Jesus, was oppressed and afflicted. But notice what it says in verse 8. He wasn't just oppressed and afflicted. It says, by oppression and affliction, he was taken away. Now, what does that mean? He was taken away means he was taken out. He was taken away or taken out of this world. Another way to say he died. Okay? This one who's the anointed servant is not just going to suffer affliction, but he is going to die. Now, hold on just a second. For those people who are looking for the coming of the Messiah, namely the Jews at that time, For them to hear about the Messiah or this anointed servant who's going to suffer is one thing, but to hear that he is going to suffer and that through and by that oppression and affliction, he is going to die, that was incomprehensible. They could not imagine in their heart or their mind that the Messiah would come and would die. They could not get that in their heart and their mind. That is true to this day. If you were to go to Israel, as I was there not too long ago, and you talk to an Israelite who is not a believer. They know a lot about the Bible, but they don't know Jesus. And you ask them, why do you not accept Jesus? They'll tell you, the reason I do not accept Jesus is because when the Messiah comes, there will be peace on the earth, and Israel has no peace. Therefore, until there is peace... There is no Messiah. What they failed to understand is that the Messiah has a purpose before he comes as king of kings and Lord of lords, before he's going to come and give the victory, before he's going to deliver the Jews. There's a purpose for him, and it's described in Isaiah 53, that that Messiah is going to be an anointed servant who is going to suffer, who is going to suffer. But not only is he going to suffer, he is also going to die. And when the fact that Jesus came the first time and he suffered and he died, that Jewish mind today still cannot accept that he is the Messiah. They say whenever he comes and brings peace, they'll believe he's a Messiah. Well, he's coming again, and when he comes, he's going to bring peace. Amen? And when he comes, he's going to be king of kings and lord of lords. But that is not. Mean that Jesus did not come the first time he came, but he came as this anointed servant, the one who was to suffer, but also the one who was to die. Now, that's got to get that in your mind, not just suffer, but die, because it was incomprehensible that the Messiah would die. Well, you think about suffering. Who in the Bible is the picture of suffering? Job. <laughs> Job is the ultimate picture of suffering. I mean, Job had a bad day, didn't he? I mean, he lost everything he owned, he lost his children. Not only that, he goes a step further and he loses his health. He's out there in the ashes scraping himself. He is in a bad strait and he is suffering. But hold on a second. Is that where Job ended up? No. Job suffered. But before you get to the end of the book, what does God do? God heals him, and God restores him. Suffering did not end up in death for him, but rather suffering was carried out, and he had the opportunity to see better days. Same way with Joseph. When Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers who were jealous of him, he went into slavery, he went to Egypt, he ended up in a prison. Well, all of those things are happening. What is it? That's called suffering. And Joseph was suffering, but is that where Joseph ended up? No. Joseph suffered, but eventually the Pharisee is going, I mean, the the Egyptian king is going to find out that he is going to, that this guy has all the power and all this ability to tell about dreams, and he's going to appoint him where? To be prime minister, second in command, to preserve the way of Israel and a home and a place of safety and blessing for them. He did not end up in suffering. So you have suffering, those who suffer, and those who are restored, but not this one who is the Messiah, not this one who's the anointed servant. He's going to be oppressed. He's going to be afflicted. And what does it say? And as he is oppressed, afflicted in judgment, he is taken away. He is going to die. It is required that this anointed servant who is going to pay the price for sin, he must die. And Isaiah tells you, he will have to die. Not just suffer. He will have to die. Then look at the second thing there in verse 8. He asks this question. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due. He asked this question of his generation, who considered him? Who considered him? Who saw him for who he was? Well, we know the reality of that. In Jesus' time, when Jesus walked in this earth and on this earth, there were only a few people who followed Jesus. Isn't that true? Yes. Now, you may think that everybody in the world is going to follow Jesus because you love Jesus and you build your life around Jesus. I hope you build your life around him. He's deserving of that. But the reality of it is when Jesus walked on the earth, and even in our day, there's only a small group of people who gave their life to him because they understood and considered who he was. Only a small group of people. Whenever he healed people, there were lots of people who wanted to follow him. Whenever he fed 5,000, our 4,000, lots of people wanted to follow him. But when he said, count the cost of being a disciple, not many wanted to follow him. And therefore, there were only a few people in that generation, in that time, who actually knew who he was, are considered who he was. Now, the hard thing to imagine is that they did not consider who he was, and there are factors that they should have considered when they talk about Jesus. To know that he was unique. To know that he was the Messiah, to know he was this anointed servant. What do I mean by that? Well, let me talk to you about three things they should have known just on the teachings and the testimony of Jesus. The first thing, they should have realized that he was unique and different based on his origin, where he came from, and his beginning. How is Jesus different from any of the rest of us? Well, all of you came into existence because God so willed that your mom and dad would come together and would form that seed that was fertilized and became an embryo and birthed you into existence and gave you a human spirit and your life began then. Your life began at conception, all right? That's whenever you came into the world. That went true with Jesus. Jesus preexisted. Jesus is the son of God. He is the eternal word. He has been forever and he forever will be, amen? And because he preexisted and his origin was with God, he is eternal God, eternal God who came and took the form of man in order to relate to us, in order to eventually die on the cross on our behalf, but his origin was that he is eternal God. Now, how do I know that or why would I say that? Because of what Jesus said. What did Jesus say? What did he talk about? Well, I'm going to give you something for you to write down, and you can look at it whenever you get home. It's John chapter 8, John chapter 8, verse 58, I believe is the, is the verse. John chapter 8, read through John chapter 8, and you'll find it. This has to do with the fact of whenever Jesus was talking to his, to the people around him, and he was talking to them about Abraham. You remember that? And carrying on a discussion about Abraham and who Abraham was and what Abraham did and how Abraham honored God and honored him. And they ask him a question, you're just a young man. Our father Abraham is old and he's dead. How would you know Abraham? And he answers and says, before Abraham, I am. That's the word of Jesus. Before Abraham, I am. Which he means that Abraham is not older than Jesus, For Jesus preexisted and is eternal, and that Jesus was there when Abraham was created, and Abraham realized and understood that the Messiah, the Son of God, was eternal. You go down to Matthew chapter 23, there's a discussion about David, King David, and who is the Son of Man or the Son of David? And they said, well, this one who's coming is the Son of Man or the Son of David, And he kept saying, well, if he is the Messiah, which Jesus was, is the son, then why did David call him Lord? Why would David call the Messiah Lord? It's because the Messiah preexisted before David ever came around. And what Jesus is doing is saying, I am not like anyone else. My origin is the fact that I am eternal God. And listening to his words, they should have known he was eternal God. And by that testimony alone, he should have been given consideration. Amen? I mean, if you're talking to God, don't you think you ought to listen to God? If God's walking among us, don't you think you ought to pay attention to God? I think so. So one of the reasons is his origin. But the second reason that they should have paid attention or given him consideration was his earthly life. What was his earthly life like? He was perfect. He never said one thing wrong, never did one thing wrong, never sinned in any way. No one could find any fault in him. Even when they're trying to bring accusations against him in order to try him, they can't find any witnesses that can bear testimony that would be true. They have to pay somebody to make false statements about him. All of that because everyone knows he is the perfect son of God. Well, if you encounter Jesus and he lives perfectly and walks perfectly and talks perfectly and has a heart that's perfect in every way and has never sinned, don't you think that's enough to start giving some consideration? Have you ever met anybody else like that? I haven't. So the very testimony of his life, the testimony of his life was such that they should have given consideration to him. But they didn't. Most never did. Well, there's a third thing. His everlasting reign. He tells about his everlasting reign. Whenever Jesus is teaching, he teaches about his kingdom. Remember that? His kingdom. He has come to establish his kingdom. But his kingdom is not of this earth. Remember when he's before Pontius Pilate and discussions going on and he's talking about the kingdom and he tells him, if my kingdom were of this earth, my people would be picking up their swords and fighting at this time, but they are not fighting for my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is an eternal kingdom, a spiritual kingdom, an everlasting kingdom. And whenever we read in the book of Revelation, as we studied in great detail last year, when we read about that, we find out He is King of kings, Lord of lords. He's coming to reign, amen, forevermore to make things right, and that He is the Lord God, and that He is eternal, and He will reign forever and ever. Based on that alone, He should have been given consideration, but He was not given consideration by the multitudes. For he says there in Isaiah 53, and as for his generation, who considered? Who was it that considered? Who gave thought to him? Well, he goes on and tells us something else about him. He makes a statement, says, who considers that he was cut off out of the land of the living? That's another way of saying he died. He was cut off of the land of the living. The unique thing about that is when it uses that term cut off, it means to cut off at the prime of life, at at the least expected time. It's the idea that a flower, that flower would have the opportunity and it would bloom, and in full bloom, when it should be most enjoyed, it would be cut off. To be cut off in the prime of life. You know what it tells us about the Messiah, it tells us about this anointed servant, He's not going to die an old man. He's not going to die late in life. He's going to die in the prime of his life. In the prime of his life at a young age, he is going to die. Did Jesus fulfill that? Oh, did he ever. Only 33 years of age whenever he died. 33 years of age is the prime of life. Amen? All of you who are 33 and above... And you remember what 33 was? That's the prime of life. For those of you who had not got the 33, I'm just here to tell you, from 33, it heads down. <laughs> All right? So, it's the prime of life. Right in the midst of the prime of his life, as a young man, not an old man, it says he was cut off out of the land of the living. He was removed from this world. He was removed from this life. It means he died. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He died. His spirit and soul were separated from his earthly tent and tabernacle. There lay his body for three days, dead and lifeless. He died. Why? He had to die for a purpose, for the plan of God. He didn't just suffer He died at the prime of life. Listen what else it says there in verse 8. It says, for, listen, for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due. Wait a minute. Tells us the purpose. Why did this anointed servant suffer and why did this anointed servant die? for a purpose, it, it, was, it was for the purpose of paying for our transgression. It says, for the transgression of my people. Now, that, that term my can can refer to the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah could be saying, he, he suffered for the transgression of my people, the Jews. He, he suffered for the Jews that the Jews might have a relationship with God. And that would be true because Jesus came first for the Jews and then the Gentiles, right? Jesus came first for the Jews, and then the Gentiles. Y'all are Gentiles. Did y'all know that? You should have said amen or something about there. I had to practice that other group, so let let me practice with you. When I say the Gentiles, that he came for you, say amen. 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 Not, not till I say it. <laughs> I, I didn't say it yet. I mean, you just say amen then. I want you to say amen at the right time. He came first for the Jews and then for the Gentiles. That's right. That's where it's supposed to be. That's you. Okay? So, when Isaiah said, for my people, he could be talking about the Jews because Jesus came first for the Jews. But more than likely, my people does not refer to Isaiah. It refers to God, God's people. And it says his suffering servant came for the transgression of God's people, for the transgression of God's people. Now, what does that mean? That means that in, in reality, let's, let's talk about this. Who did Jesus die for? Okay, who did Jesus die for? Let's talk about potential. In regard to potential, Jesus died for all people, right? He died for all people. He shed his blood, and his blood is sufficient whereby all of us have the opportunity to be saved. So in potential, he died for all of us. But in reality, he only died for those who believed in him and who were saved by him who became the people of God. In other words, for a person who doesn't believe in Jesus, it doesn't really matter what Jesus did. But for the people of God who by faith have come in relationship with God, He died for their transgressions, potentially for everybody, but in reality, for that one who believes. And that means that Jesus died, he suffered for my transgressions, for my transgressions because, what does it say? Verse 8, for the transgressions of my people to whom the stroke was due. Now, last week, I told you that that suffering servant, that anointed servant, he suffered He was scourged. He was beaten. He was mistreated. All of that was due because we deserved it, right? We deserved it. But hold on a second. He didn't just suffer for us. He died for us. I mean, suffering is not enough. Suffering is not sufficient. It requires death. For the penalty of sin is death. Every soul that sins must surely die. Death is the payment for sin. Therefore, when I have transgressed as I have, the only way I have any hope is that there is one who has paid the price of death for me, and that is the anointed servant of God, the one we know as Jesus Christ, for he fulfills all of what that said, scourged, beaten, left this world in the prime of his life, did it not because of his sin, but because of my sin for your sin. And he died and paid the price so that it has been paid in full when it was due to me. It was due to you. He died. He paid that price. And I'll tell you something, friend. It's one thing for him to suffer for you. It's another thing for him to die for you. And you need to always be grateful. <laughs> you need to always be grateful for Jesus who suffered, but Jesus who died for you and died for me. You need to always be grateful. Now, I want to show you something. Get your Bibles ready. I'm going to show you three verses of Scripture from the New Testament that will verify what I've told you, okay? I want you to see three verses of Scripture. Our three passages. Romans chapter 6. I mean, Romans chapter 5. I'm sorry. Romans chapter 5. I'm just going to read these scriptures to you. And you see, if it doesn't open up your mind, now you can see what this scripture's talking about. Based on the Isaiah 53, 8 passage. Listen to what it says in Romans chapter 5, verse 6 and following. Here it is. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. You can write your name there. Amen? At the right time, Christ died for me. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrated his own love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He did what? He died for us. Verse 9, Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Then look at verses 17 through 19. For if by the transgressions of one, Adam, death reigned through the one, much more, those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So then, as through one transgression here resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one the many will be made righteous. How? Through his death. Amen? Amen. Then look at 1 Corinthians, a few pages over. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. Listen to what he writes. For I deliver to you as the first, of, of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Now stop right there. If you want to write something in your Bible, you write this. It says, For I deliver to you as first of importance what I also receive, that Christ died for our sins according to Isaiah 53, 8. Scripture said he's going to have to die. Look at verse 4. And that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scripture. That's the rest of Isaiah 53. Tells you the rest of the story when you keep reading Final one, 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. Listen to what it says. For God has not destined for us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who what? Who died for us, that whether we're awake or asleep, we may live together with him. What did Jesus do? He didn't just suffer for us, He died for us. And over and over and over and over again, in the New Testament, it's going to talk about He died for you that you might live, that I might live for eternity. Isaiah saw it and shared that glory 700 years before it ever takes place, because God wants us all to know He has a plan. And that plan was an eternal plan in his son, that his son would take our place, that we might be saved. That's a good word. If you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then Jesus died on the cross. He died for you. But, but if you don't accept him as Christ and as Lord of your life, it's as though he never died or he never came. But if you'll believe that he's the son of God and give your heart and life to him, ask him to forgive you of sin and believe he died on your behalf, you can be saved, transformed and changed and become a part of God's family. Whenever God says, my people, you're a part of that. If you've never done that, you need to do that today. Give your heart to Jesus today. And child of God, if you're here, say, boy, I'm saved. Well, you ought to be rejoicing the old, old story. Amen. You ought to be excited to hear about what Jesus did and to know that he paid the price and that you're in good standing because of all that Jesus has done for you and for me.
0: That concludes this week's message from Brother Mac. Additional sermons and reference materials are available from our website at parkermemorial.com slash sermon series. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. I have overcome the world. We can help you know the one who can bring you peace. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Parker Memorial Baptist Church as well as our website at parkermemorial.com. May God bless you until we meet again.